Welcome to the Gestaltung Podcast and this time presented to you by Pathfinder powered by Concept House, your number one source for internships and entry-level positions into the car design and transportation design industry. Go online and find Pathfinder on www.pathfinder.careers and sign up for this free service. Now, my name is Martin Groschwald, and in this week's episode, I am very happy to welcome Paul Snyder of the College for Creative Studies in Detroit. And with Paul, we have discussed a little bit the role of the future designer, where this will develop towards, what this will mean for the current students studying design and transportation design in particular, and also what this will mean for the entire industry. So enjoy the conversation with Paul Snyder. And don't forget, obviously, to give us five stars on iTunes if you listen to on that. Uh, like us on, you know, all the other platforms that you might be listening to us. And without further ado, let's crack on. Here's Paul and here's myself. And here's the episode. Let's go. Paul. Thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you. And uh, obviously, we're recording here in the afternoon in German time, and it's the morning in Detroit. Welcome to the show, and thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Martin. It's really nice to be here or to be chatting with you. <laughs> Now, we, when we had a little bit of a pre-chat and like, you know, we were discussing what kind of topic we wanted to discuss about, I, I had this a little bit of a let's say, aggressive kind of proposal. And I said, like, you know, why don't we talk about the fact that, you know, you work in education and uh, do we think that car designers in the future actually design cars? And you said, hey, that, that sounds really interesting. So here we are um, with that. But um, my first question to you is actually more related to a little bit of your background because you have experience quite a lot of experience, actually, as a teacher, as a professor at the Pratt Institute, at CCS now in Detroit, of course, as well. But also, you have been extremely hands-on uh, in your past as well. So you're not just this typical professor who's never done it, never worked in the industry before. Um, over the past, let's say, five to ten years, when you moved from the industry back into education, uh, was obviously also the time where UX came into the, into play very much. Interior design was more and more important. Um, what what was the observation that you had that you know affected you the most in in your education, or how how did it change your perception of education with these changes coming in? That let's say an exterior is not the most important one anymore, but there's other ones that you know other other areas that are now coming into this educational area. Well, that's a really interesting question. You know, it makes me think um, in, ter in terms of one of the most impactful experiences, uh, it probably was going to graduate school uh, in New York. When I was teaching car design at uh, Pratt Institute, I was also for uh, at least one year at the same time finishing up uh, graduate school in New York City in fine art. When you study fine art, like an MFA, at many schools, you get into a lot of um, critical theory, literary theory, um, the politics of art making are core and extremely fundamental to um, the creation of, of uh, culture. So, <coughs> excuse me. So all these notions of um, divining meaning out of what we do, whether you're writing a story or a text or designing a car, um, are pushed to the forefront um, and deciding exactly uh, who your audience is and what you're trying to say um, becomes a, a critical factor in art making. And... Um, And that was something in my BFA in transportation design that we never really covered. It was it was all about, you know, the craft primarily. I mean, you know, in a, 
four-year degree, you're going to cover some psychology, you're going to cover some uh, philosophy. Um, but it's all very sort of introductory um, unless you're, you know, going into a liberal arts degree. But a, a Bachelor of Fine Arts uh, or a Bachelor of Science is really about the profession that you want to be in. And as we all know, you really don't need a graduate degree in order to be a car designer, right? You, you need a, a smoking hot portfolio and a passion uh, for it. And usually four years is enough to get you there. So um, putting all this together, what I, what I uncovered uh, or, or discovered as it were was for example, the notions of deconstruction, like what was that all about? Um, and, and how was that, uh, where did that originate from? And it, it wasn't an architectural movement at first. It was really a way of understanding a text. And that kind of blew my mind because when you start to deconstruct what we do as designers, um, whether it be a car designer or a product designer, um, you start to think about the meaning behind your, your, your craft or your work. And so when I come back to teaching now, I think in the context of um, the 21st century and um, this kind of uh, liberal democracy that seems to be struggling right now, but basically it's the best answer we have uh, as, a, as a species to move forward. Um, liberal democracy with capitalism is, is the order of the day. So um, if we start to talk about, you know, emotional design and car design, and we start to talk about, um, you know, how, how so much design is super, superfluous and, um, and, 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 you know, just sort of void of meaning, then, um, then we're talking about styling. But when we start to talk about making the world a better place, and then we start to talk about design. In terms of transportation design, you know, the distinction between automotive design and product design, they used to be part of the same department, right? Industrial design. But, you know, as every as so many professions have become more and more specialized, where you really drill down into one particular aspect of a um, of a field, they sort of grew apart. <clears throat> and there's certainly still an arrogance amongst transportation designers or car designers that and I'm you know, I'm guilty of that as well. I, I think that car designers can design anything. Um, but what I try to do now is instill in my students that, um, you know, starting with the human user and making the world a better place is really what's going to give you meaning in your life as a car designer. And, and you know, that might sound very profound and very, you know, highfalutin, but um, yeah, I think it's a pretty core lesson uh, to be learned from. Uh, humanism in general, that we're not just here to, you know, create landfill of the future, but at the same time, um, human beings will always have a, um, have a propensity to, to choose between their favorite, whatever, and somebody else's, right? Whether that be the, the red pickup or the black pickup, um, it may be, um, you know, the choice to drive an economy car or a luxury car. So choice is what's always going to keep us employed and taste. And whether or not, whether or not we're designing cars, I think is really, uh, it's a question of, um, you know, how do you define a car? Is, is a car something that has to have a steering wheel? You know, um, and when that goes away, are we still car designers? Or are we, you know, designers of spaces that move? So what my approach to transportation design 
at CCS is um, it's 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 anything that moves. So it may be a robot, it may be a jet ski, it may be a truck, and it may be a sports car. And I think in in approaching it that way, you're going back to the fundamentals of the design process, which is, you know, you start out with a discovery mission. It's like, what's out there? And you try and identify um, new human needs or uh, problems that can be solved. And so that's problem definition after you've discovered a lot of things um, and opportunities. And, and then you develop and, and deliver it. So um, in, in the definition of your problem lies usually a human need or a pain point that can be solved for. And if it's, um, you know, if that human need is a, is a toaster, then it's a product design. If a human need is something that moves, then it's transportation design. So car design you know, guys like um, um, my 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 friend uh, Chris Bangle, who was at CCS a couple of years ago, he's trying to elevate car design to some other category of culture making, and 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 that's cool. You know, we can we can talk about how designers are more skilled in one thing than the other, because we do drill down into aesthetics so thoroughly the understanding of proportions and beauty, probably more than most uh, product design um, departments and, uh, and institutions. Um, so, you know, but that doesn't negate the fact that um, we're still designing things that need to work. So it really goes back to the form and the function and which one leads. But the distinction between you know, what we call ourselves now and historically and what we're calling ourselves in the future, I think is kind of a moot point um, because what we need to be doing is just making the world a better place, um, you know, and uh, and enjoying ourselves along the way. And it comes down to, you know, um, first it's got to work and then, you know, what color do you want? <laughs> how uh, I, I find it always very difficult because if you if you look into the media nowadays you see these extremely fancy and very crafty sketches yeah but it takes away so much of what the actual design process actually is it, it shows oftentimes that the designer in the representation is almost like a painter you know somebody who comes up with an idea and then other people will will do it for them how do you communicate that design is so much more than just a sketch, that the sketch is part of this entire process to um, not only your students, yeah, because obviously a lot of them quite naive in the beginning come in like, yeah, we want to do some cool sketches and all these yeah, things, yeah. but also educate your, you know, the partners that you have, the companies that you do projects with just to, to look at these students differently and not just to say, don't always just look for the best sketch and look for what is the best designer. Because I, it seems sometimes to me that, you know, they're, they're competing for the, the next cool stuff rather than, you know, actually understanding what is the best designer out of this. Um, and how do you deal with that? I mean, do you, do you lead your students, of course, but or do, you, do you also lead your, the partners that you do projects with or, do you just sometimes have to, you know, give in and just like, look, if you just want to have the best schedule, well, then that's the way it is. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the, the fact is, uh, I don't think anything has changed in the, um, in the, in the industry. When you think about the, the students or, or the, the new graduates that get the interview or that get the internship their portfolio is always full of the really super hot sketches, right? Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> while um, a lot of hiring managers and, um, and design leaders will, will talk about how, you know, um, the customer is always right and, and uh, putting the customer first and user centered design and, um, and all these other 
you know, very virtuous kinds of ways of approaching what we do. Um, the hot scotch always is the one that, you know, gets the job or gets the interview and students know that. So what I try to do is, um, and this is kind of the, the vision and the mission of, of my department. And that's, you know, each, each one of these young people have to be thoroughly uh, steeped and, and versed in the mastery of traditional skill sets. And that's in the first two years. And after that, the junior year and the senior year, okay, what are you going to do with it? And, um, you know, it, it, because everything is, is just so regurgitated or, or incestuous now with Instagram and Pinterest, everything is, it's so rare to see something really fresh. Hot sketches are all over the place, but if it's really fresh, then it's like, wow. And that may be uh, just a sculptural idea, or it may be a functional idea, but when you see it, that's that's what's outstanding because the hot sketch has become, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, you, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of, um, democratized in a way, mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, there's a lot of really good schools. CCS is only one of them. I think we're the best, but you know, you go to Florsheim, you go to art center, um, and there's a lot of hot sketches coming out of all these different places around the world, even Kaffa now in China. Yeah. So the, what distinguishes the hot sketch or, or one student's hot sketch from another is the content and the meaning that's, that's, um, imbued in the, in the work. And so, um, through our design theory classes, um, we talk about these issues of um the starting point for any given project hmm. and um you know if it's purely aesthetic that that could be okay it's still you know it has to be built and it, you know it's you want a quality execution of that um but there's always going to be another opposing factor and, and this goes back to the early days of uh, the Bauhaus, the form and the function. So the hot sketch is the price of entry. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you think, obviously moving forward, you've already mentioned the, um, the space on wheels, the movable space in that sense. And that's obviously with automation, and the digitalization, you know, autonomy, everything that comes into that, that's going to be somehow limited in terms of what you can do from an exterior perspective, because at some point you will get to a point where all these, you know, vehicles need to talk to each other. They need to have a certain purpose. So we're all, all almost going back to pragmatism uh, in that system as well. So at that point, this, the sketch will not just bring you onto the job anymore you know, if we, if we take that idea a little bit further. So what do you think if we take back this idea of like, you know, that the car designer of the future doesn't necessarily design a car anymore. What do you think from your own experience, you know, over the past two decades or so, but also with the students that you have taught is something to move forward that is absolutely, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's just like a must have that you need to have as a designer apart from the sketching that that just needs to be there to to succeed right well you know i i think going back to the uh the notion of choice and personal taste the real question is um if you're going to own it or if if you're just using it mm -hmm. so um the 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 role of the designer in that um, in that equation is, you know, extremely critical because even if um, let's say mobility is completely democratized and you know you can have a robot come and pick you up at your front door, um, or you can still own a car if you want to own a car that could platoon in with fleets of other vehicles that are platooning down the highway. Um, the distinction between whether it's shared or owned is going to be critical 
as, as the starting point. Um, the, the function has to be different. The materials have to be different. Um, but there will still be choice and there will still be ways of expressing taste. Like right now, um, you know, even if you're extremely wealthy, you may choose to stay at a Holiday Inn versus the, uh, you know, the Hyatt or, um, you know, one of the higher end hotels. So I don't see transportation being any different. Um, car designers that can understand that distinction and still offer real value and experiences uh, in a safe shared uh, scenario will still, uh, I think, distinguish themselves from those who are strictly only trying to make something um, functional in shape and, and safe. For example, you, you look at the, um, the Ollie, right? Mm -hmm. This is just pure, you know, expression of uh, a volume that will accommodate six to eight people and the way it's manufactured. There's very little um, regard for the way that thing looks, right? It was very, very secondary to its function. It doesn't have to look like that. It's just a very early iteration. Um, and while the volume might not change and the seating positions might not change for a shared mobility experience, um, certainly the... Um, the appearance of it and the care with which designers um, address specific human pain points and, and needs will definitely be opportunities for somebody to express their role in the world. You know, do, do I want to travel um, with Virgin Atlantic or do I want to travel on JetBlue? You know, it's, it's the choices are, are always going to be there. And, um, you know, and this gets into one of the other things that you've been writing about on LinkedIn and so on. And, and that's the, um, you know, with all these technologies in manufacturing that are coming on and, uh, the, the sort of cycles of contraction expansion in the industry, a lot of, the, uh, the young designers in school now, maybe working in a, a more gig economy like a social structure where you know perhaps they're uh, working for one company who has access to a um, you know an electric platform to do their body work and uh, the next year they're working for some other company with completely different parameters because it, the service is going to be where the money is not the manufacturer selling miles not selling cars Exactly. And um, do you think in, in regards to the education that you're going towards, um, what you've obviously described is not necessarily just, you know, exterior and interior and color trim and UI, UX, and everything is going to be done by someone differently because we're talking about an overall experience and you have the haptical point of the experience. So the understanding of you know, every designer working on these products needs to be much more than maybe just a little island that they prefer to be on, uh, such as exterior only. Um, I'm not saying everybody's going to be like that. I'm pretty sure there's going to be absolute specialists and like, you know, these masterminds that will only be working on exteriors. But how how do you react to that, that this multidiscipline, you know, knowledge and, you know, opportunity comes in now? Um, and, and explain that to the students and also explain it to, uh, you know, the people working on these projects uh, like Ford, like FCA, like GM, uh, of course, in Detroit is to say, like, maybe you don't need an exterior guy anymore. You just need an understandable designer who knows, you know, what's what's going on around him. Because with these new technologies, you have to be able to adapt. You have to have a certain background, maybe, you know, to a certain degree in engineering as well to understand what's, what's one, you know, what's, what's required from me, because otherwise it's, we're, we're just going back to styling and somebody is putting it into production. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, well, w one thing that we definitely are doing is we're doing a lot of collaboration. Um, when a uh, when a company or a philanthropist comes to CCS with a project, um, 
that's a collaboration between the faculty and the company and um and it's also a collaboration between the students and um, the company and the faculty so we, we try to set it up as close to a um professional design scenario as possible uh, for example when uh fca came to us um about a just i think it was just one year ago um they, they return every uh, every year and a half on a, on a rotation, so we're really fortunate to have their support. But this last year, what we did is we collaborated between the, the uh, collaboration with the FCA and the others. Right. So we pulled uh, three departments together for that collaboration, which was really, really cool. Um, so we did an exterior uh, class, we did a architectural interior class, and we did a fashion accessories class. And all three of those classes, um, students from each of those classes were teamed up into teams of three to design a brand experience. Uh, so we didn't do the interior that semester, but I'll, I'll get to another project where we did. That semester, the, um, the brand experience was about, okay, you have this beautiful exterior design, and then you have a brand experience showroom, much like what Tesla's been doing in malls and things like that, circumventing the dealership model. And then you also have brand line extensions in terms of accessories and things like that. So, you know, as you can buy Ferrari branded shoes and Porsche branded sunglasses, what if uh, Dodge or uh, Ram had and Jeep and uh, Fiat and Alfa and Maserati? What if what if each one of those had uh, a different brand experience? And, uh, and Ralph was really thrilled with that project. And it really set off a kind of a new way of um, collaborating within the schools. So we had three different classes, three different instructors, all collaborating, students from each class on a team collaborating, and it really came off really well. And then the following year, uh, this was just uh, this last fall, we did a, um, a Cadillac project where we had color materials teaming up with interior design students. And that, that, that was just stunning. The students took it to a new level. Um, and then this last semester, we had interior design students collaborating with exterior design students addressing uh, the, um, the future potential brand width of the Ford Mach-E. Uh, I guess they're considering um, taking the Mach-E Mustang um, into its own brand and uh, having multiple sort of uh, uh, lifestyle vehicles, I suppose, uh, all branded under the Mustang badge. So that was a really interesting project. When it comes to um, drilling down and specializing in one thing or another, that's always been something that I've pushed back against. When I was at Ford, I was... Uh, first hired at Ford in the back in the eighties, there was really no distinction. They moved us around. I, I did interiors, I did exteriors, um, and always working closely with the engineers and the, uh, you know, color materials specialists. Um, but when I was at Honda, it was, you were either interior or exterior and you'd never cross that line. And I thought that was kind of unfortunate. Um, at Honda, we were very, very specialized. And, you you know, I I asked if I could do an interior project next, you know, after I had done multiple exteriors. And they were like, no, we really want you to just do the exterior of this next project. So I, would do, I did an interior on my own time, you know, just to sort of complete the vision. And, um, you know, I've been talking a lot about specializing um and in fact that's what i call them in our department at ccs you can specialize in exterior interior vehicles which is um vocational or recreational and mobility which is uh fleets for shared use so that's the way i break it down but um 
I think I'm thinking now that the term specialization isn't something that I really want to promote because I think in the gig economy, students or designers will need to be able to apply their skill set to any given problem. Or starting a carrozzeria, you you have um, at least an introductory knowledge of all these other disciplines as well, and you have a solid foundation in the design process. Do you think that the established car companies, I mean, like, you know, we see companies such as Canoe, uh, Lucid, Tesla to a certain degree, they have to do things a little bit differently. The teams are much smaller, of course, mm -hmm. uh, as well, because like the financial restrictions are just there. Um, they don't have billions and billions to spend as companies. They don't have been in existence for such a long time, but obviously have fewer pressures as well. Do you think that the big companies are ready for these this, this new kind of designer? Like, you know, the idea of uh, someone like Sasha Silipanov being able to do their own 3D model, maybe not necessarily need a 3D model on along their side, thinking completely in uh, with, with, with alias, maybe don't even need a clay model anymore. That's, of course, a whole different story. But, you know, do, do you think that these big companies are ready for this flexibility and understanding this flexibility also in their working pipeline to really use these kind of kids that come out in the best possible way, uh, also giving them what you've mentioned in the beginning, the opportunity to do both interior, exterior, or maybe interior and UI or UX, like not to the fully detailed level, but, you know, understand the entire experience. Are, are they ready or Are they, are they just behind at the moment because of their structure and process? Well, I think it's very case by case. Um, you know, I think the industry, just because of its size and the amount of capital investment involved, moves really slowly in terms of, like, cultural changes. So, um, you know, some companies are going to say they want the Renaissance designer who can do everything and anything and they'll hire them and but that designer may not be stimulated enough so it's up to up to the um whether it be hr or the design management to keep this person engaged um in a meaningful way um and if they're happy just doing one thing you know that's fine but um i know that students who truly think about like I, I, I feel like I'm in danger of just paying lip service to uh, like the design process and human centered design, just because it's, it's so it's, it's become so common, these terms thrown around now. Um, but I think that the young people are wanting more meaning in what they do beyond a paycheck. So I think um, if, if these larger companies um, more conservative, larger companies truly want that Renaissance designer. It's going to be their challenge to keep them engaged, inspired in a meaningful way so that they feel like they're doing something with purpose in their life. And certainly these, these Renaissance designers are, uh, you know, they get, they get multiple offers. You know, those are the ones that, um, You know, they'll get three, four, five offers and uh, and they'll pick and choose who they want to go to. And um, and they're also the young people that is they're also very interested to discover um, what the new companies are all about. And they have the energy to work, you know, um, the extra hours as well in the startup culture. Um, I know that students, they that uh, they go to Tesla Uh, Honda Advanced Studio, um, Zooks, um, those those guys are are really engaged, guys and girls. They're they're really engaged in their work because they're switching their roles um, almost, you know, daily, if not in the same day, um, having to change gears from UI to exterior or from an interior component to um, to something so broad, like what wide open question, like what will the, you know, future user experience be enabled by autonomous driving? You know, where, where are the opportunities there? I mean, this is that talk about a white 
paper, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How do, how do you deal with that? I mean, if <laughs> I, I can imagine this is sometimes a tricky conversation to have because you, you know, in, in, in the end, of course, your, your course is supposed to also give these kids a job, but also give them the idea of just like, Hey, you can, you can do something and you have the capabilities of doing something that maybe someone hasn't done before. Um, from that perspective, how, how do you think is gonna, that's gonna change for you? I mean, like, you know, the days of you're only, you know, producing designers for the OEMs is over. Uh, there's so many opportunities out there nowadays where they can be creatively stimulated from that perspective. How, how do you keep them, you know, in line so that they're not going too crazy and still learn the most important basics to, to find a career afterwards with, with all these distractions coming in from the outside world now? On, on all different kind of levels. Well, I try to coach the students um, and and make them aware of where their strengths are. Um, you know, a, a student that is spread really thin but not mastering anything, it, that student may be in danger of not getting a job, at least not right away. Um, and a student that is uh, really good at one thing, I might um, suggest that they do diversify their portfolio a little bit more. Um, and then the students who are good at everything, um, I, I could just give them career guidance on what companies might be more uh, hospitable to their skill sets and personalities. And so it's a huge responsibility on my part. And, uh, you know, but we have a great, um, job placement record. Uh, we don't, we don't, we don't generally have hard data, um, just because students disappear after they graduate <laughs> and some, some keep in touch and some, you, you know, just never hear from them again. They don't tell us when they get a job, but, um, I, you know, we have a pretty strong track record there. And, and so, I think that uh, while it's one of my biggest responsibilities that I have to my students, um, I'm pretty confident that we're doing well. Yeah. Do you think it's really portfolio coaching? Do you think? Oh, well, let me let me rephrase that. How do you think? If I would ask you in let's say ten years, uh, your role as a design educator will have changed. You know, the technology component is is definitely going to be a part of it. Um, my, my biggest sort of internal dialectic right now is the need for the traditional skill sets versus all the shortcuts that technology can provide. <laughs> when you can go into, um, a virtual gravity sketch environment or even just a polygonal modeling tool and do something, um, you know, reasonably well proportioned and then assign the shaders and punch out a bunch of digital renderings of this uh, polygonal model mm. um, without drawing. If you can do all that without drawing, then why are we teaching drawing? Mm -hmm. So this is... This is the, my biggest kind of personal internal debate. Um, and I, I, I keep asking myself why I'm doing it because <clears throat> I think that is really critically important to the quality of student that we turn out at CCS. If all these kids in this last year that did these outstanding projects for FCA for Cadillac and now the Mach-E, if those students didn't know how to draw in the first place, I'm certain, there's no way of proving this, of course, mm -hmm. but I'm certain the results would have been very, very different and not as good. But it's the study of the traditional um, methods of drawing and sculpting, drawing from life, drawing from your imagination that refines a student's sense of aesthetics and purpose and meaning. And without that, I think it becomes kind of um, an empty shell, it, you know, uh, 
that anybody can do and 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 that's fine maybe anybody will but you know when you go to the store to buy a suit are, are you gonna you know buy one that or or just you know make it yourself if 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 you feel like there's software uh, available to design a suit or are you gonna go to tom ford if you can afford it you know some people are just going to be better at doing things than you can do so just because um the process is somewhat more democratized with all these things like 3d printing and polygonal modeling doesn't mean um that it will undermine the question of uh, choices and tastes for people um, who are more discerning in their purchases and uh, where they put their their money. Does that make sense? It, it, it makes a lot of sense, and I want to I want to follow up this, you know, with the, with a little bit of a, you know, of, of a question, of course, that that goes into this entirety of of this. So, how important do you then think it would be to continue teaching clay modeling as well? Because what you've, of course, just mentioned is that to build up this kind of emotion, um, you could say, I can model it in 3D and I can even 3D print it. But the question is, how much can I then change it on the 3D printed model? You know, having it actually in my hands, feeling what I'm changing, what I'm doing. Isn't it then the case that you would have to say, like, you know, the 3D modeling on a computer is in addition, but obviously the clay modeling and the understanding of what it really looks like physically and how it feels like will always be an important factor for a student or in general, kind of any designer that works in this vehicle, um, in this vehicle industry to always understand because that's how you get the emotion. Right. Right. Well, you know, uh, we get pretty quickly into science fiction. I just started thinking of that scene in minority report where, um, Tom Cruise goes into the arcade and all these people are in these booths having these virtual experiences and things like that. The the reason I thought of that is because, you know, until everything is virtual, we're still living in a physical world. And, um, you know, as long as, as long as the physicality of our surroundings and our bodies is there, then, um, at least at, the uh, freshman and sophomore level understanding of sculptural form through the act of touching and feeling and making it is going to be critical to the sensibilities that are brought to the technologies once those are introduced. So, you know, you know, if we take our brains out and put them in a box and everything is completely, you know, virtual, then maybe we won't need clay modeling anymore. (laughs) Star Trek episode in there, I think. <laughs> no, I just find it important because, you know, there's there's this very massive debate going on, of course, of how much physical modeling do we need? Can we not just do more and more in, um, you know, in, in 3D, the VR kind of presentations and all these things? But in the end, like the decisions, or I would say the, the vast majority of these decisions are being made because you see a physical model in front of you you know mm-hmm. and um as as long as this emotional factor is in it so that it really you know there, there is an importance on the aesthetics and on the design as a whole and the form and the function of course as well you will need to have this understanding of the physical model as well there are always there will always be exception to that kind of case i think you know there's there's some guys out there that that can really think in 3d as well which is a very rare case. But as long as you don't have that and you always have to understand like who you're presenting to or who you're selling your your design to, a lot of these guys cannot think in 3D. They need to see something in front of them. And so if if we take this away from the designer and then present it to somebody who doesn't understand anything on this kind of you know virtual face, well then we have a problem because then 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 you know we add a communication issue, I think, mm-hmm. on top of that as well. That's right. Well, and the other fact is, is, you know, a a car is a new product, let's say from a clean sheet of paper. What is it about $5 billion of investment? Maybe more now. 
if it's a you know an entirely new car, nobody's going to make those kinds of risky decisions um, without a thorough prototyping process. And so, like I said, it's going to be physical in the end, and at some point, you got to go physical. I think um, you know while designers in the studio may not do as many clay models, I think the at some point they're going to go into clay and, and it may just be that cycle of um, create a create creating a mesh milling it adjusting it scanning it going back to the data refining the data remilling it, it might be that or it, it might be something more artistic and traditional along the lines of um, you know actually sculpting a, a handcrafted clay surface um, but you know I don't think the clay modeling aspect is going to go away anytime soon um, and it's really again it's case by case like some companies they do not want us to get rid of um, clay modeling that you know on the other hand what is the point of milling a hard model when the student is um, you know, faced with uh, hours and hours of sanding, <laughs> you know, there's, it's, but, you know, what those hours and hours of sanding do is they, uh, they drive a, a, a student's attention to detail and uh, the extent to which they care about their craft. And uh, whether it's the prototype or, or the initial uh, theme model, or whether it's the final product on the road that somebody's going to lay down money to to use or buy, um, the expression or let's say that product is that artifact is a record of the designer's state of mind, um, their ability to collaborate, their ability to answer the problems. Um, that they're being faced with and their ability to care about that end user, the extent to which they really do care. You can tell when a, when a product is the result of a bunch of people that didn't work well together or a product of uh, people who really did work well together. Well said. And thank you very much for your time. But before I let you go, Paul, you're going to get three questions. Oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> don't don't worry. Two of them don't necessarily have to have anything to do with transportation or automotive design. One of them is extremely automotive heavy. Um, and we start with the first, you know, with the first two, like you don't have to go into uh, too much car design. But if you could choose any project that you have not worked on um, in your career, which one would you choose? That I have not worked on in my career. Well, something that I worked on a little bit, but really I wasn't a part of the team. I, I contributed to a brainstorming session uh, one day, but I really wanted to be a part of the team was the uh, 24-7 concept that um, Lawrence Vonderacker did when he was leading the advanced studios in California and, um, and Detroit. Mm -hmm. Remember the 24-7, those three cars? Yeah. Three little vehicles. They could have looked a lot better, uh, but they were just so visionary. And um, that would be one. Cool. Yeah. Second one. Uh, which designer that you have or have not worked with is the or was the biggest influence on your career? Well, it's funny because I think it's the same. Although Lawrence and I never really worked that well together, that guy blew my mind. He, he really opened my opened my mind up to a lot of different ways of looking at he did this one thing that he called it the one he was he's he's like so um it's the word i'm looking for just like there's an innocence about his optimism that is contagious mm -hmm. he did this car it was called the one and uh, it was a pickup truck kind of a thing it was very very three box so the front fender uh was the same as the rear fender because of the way the, on the opposite side of the car because of the way it was like purely symmetrical from all views right and uh yeah so lawrence was really inspiring for me last but certainly not least if i give you a blank check which car would you buy 
Oh my god! <laughs> I'm always about like um, the the vehicle for the purpose, right? Um, I've you know I've always just been a huge fan. I would probably go with the, uh, uh, you know, like a, a GT2 or something Porsche GT2. Which any any specific model? Hmm. Yeah, definitely. It'd be the 911 or the Carrera. What, what are you going to call it? It just the thing is so timeless. It just keeps getting better. Can't say that about too many cars. They just keep getting better. There are a lot of other cars out there that are awesome. You know, I think the uh, the new Defender is really cool. Um, and of course, you know, it's so nice to see the Ferraris looking good again. <laughs> I've, 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 I'd lived through the 80s and some of those Ferraris and Alphas were just real stinkers in my opinion yeah well you know like we we had a conversation um, I think it was a few months ago uh, on the pod as well we talked a little bit about the Ferraris and um, you know you can you, you don't have to like all of them but the average quality that they're now bringing out of their products is um, is really good yeah. I mean this you know, just to have that kind of base level of where you say, like, wow, like, you know, what what's coming out here is just really good yeah. is is really impressive. I think this is one of the very few companies, and obviously they're, in terms of brand value, I think one of the, 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 the highest rated car company nowadays. Yeah, um, yeah and definitely. It, that, that shows how important the design is as well. <laughs> so that's uh, that's certainly something of very much interest. Uh, and they're pulling the water from a stone too. I mean, they keep coming up with fresh ways of approaching these wonderful proportions. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Before we before we drift off too much, because we could talk hours about Ferraris and <laughs> exactly, yeah. probably beautiful Italian cars. Paul, thank you very much for taking the time. It's been the absolute pleasure. And uh, well, obviously, we will uh, link your LinkedIn profile into the uh, the subscription as well, into the uh, the show notes as well. We will link obviously CCS into the show notes as well. And uh, of course, you know, once again, thanks for for taking the time. I really do appreciate that your insights were. And thank you, Martin. It was, it was my pleasure. And uh, to all our listeners, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with uh, the chairman of the. College for Creative Studies in Detroit, Paul Snyder. And uh, if you have any questions, any comments about this, feel free. Uh, don't forget to rate and like us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to us. And you will hear back from the Shelton Podcast very soon with another episode. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.